Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Rivera. Marler, game week is here. Break out the here. bleep button because it's mother game week, y'all. We could not be more excited. I'm so excited. How did you spend your final non-football weekend? Um, did, We got a lot done, man. We got a new TV. Ooh. Uh, went to a Braves game. Nice. Um, that was a lot of fun. We 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 did some stuff around the house. Uh, Casey got a new dog bed. That's about it. What about you? Oh, you ate some hot dogs too. I had so yes. We had, Bay took us out on date night. We went to the Braves Dodgers game. She's from LA, so she's a Dodgers fan. And um, yeah, she she's she got us some hot dogs. I was like, I gotta get a picture of this for Connor because this is just a very well balanced meal right now. You know what? Though? I'll say this real quick. We were in the standing room only section, which was usually you would think is not great. I tell you what, man, out there in like near like left field is a kind of like bleacher seats. I'm not saying it's like Wrigley, but mm-hmm. right next to the beer stand, there's no line the entire time, just crushing hot dogs and beer in between innings. It was perfect. Great day. It's actually a pretty good setup. Yeah. It's not, uh, standing room only is underrated. I would, yeah. I would do standing room only at the right venue. Um, yeah, I, I did a lot. I did a ton of stuff. Top golf. Uh, I bowled twice. No big deal. <laughs> like I have like a two have games a or like you went you went no, to the bowling no, alley no. twice. No, I went to the bowling alley twice. That's I have one of those problem, summer. Yeah. <laughs> I have one of those summer cards where I can bowl three games every day, basically for like I pay like forty five bucks for the entire summer, and I can bowl three games every day. It's magnificent. Um, but how, yeah, did how that many games a, have you bowled this summer? A lot, a lot. <laughs> I'm working on my curve, man. I bowled. I did hit. I did get consecutive games breaking two hundred, and that was. That was a nice little like end of summer weekend victory for me, but uh, yeah, I had a real basic weekend. Went to the farmers market. That's uh, cool. Got uh, got Gideon's cookies. Shout out to anybody that's ever been to Gideon's cookies in Orlando. If you're coming to Orlando, you're a Florida fan. You need to go to Gideon's. Um, it is unbelievable. But yeah, did like everything that we could have wanted. Watched some movies and played some Yahtzee. Did the whole deal. Um, but yeah, last weekend without football, we are no longer. People living in a world of weekends without football. That's that, that's that's in the rearview mirror. So we have a ton to get to today. We just recorded an interview with Neil Blackman talking a lot of Florida stuff. We, of course, are going to talk about the AP poll that just came out a couple hours ago. Um, and then we are going to talk some SEC East crystal ball that I think will get a little a little heated, a touch heated, but not, not too, too heated. Before we do any of that, got to talk to you about our friends at Sweet Hop. The start of the season is just around the corner, and the year and this year, our favorite SEC teams will be taking the field at pro stadiums throughout the South. You've got Alabama at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Auburn at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, and South Carolina is going to be taking on UNC at Bank of America Stadium. Oh, and don't forget, Georgia and Florida, they're playing in the, at the cocktail party in Jacksonville, as they always do. They're still doing that for now. These road games present the perfect opportunity to enjoy the game as a group from your very own private suite. You can get away from the student crowd and toast to the team by booking a suite at Sweet Hop. Pull into the best parking spot, skip the lines using the VIP entrance, and enjoy a full spread of food and beer right in your suite. It's your space to enjoy, totally free from rowdy underclassmen covered in body paint. That's the sweet life, y'all. View availability and pricing at sweethop.com slash kickoff today. That's S-U-I-T-E hop.com slash kickoff. It's getting hopping here. Oh, gosh. Just take a walk. That was, All right. That was my bad. Yeah, I did too much. Yeah. did too much already. You did too much. The AP poll is out. We have a lot of thoughts. Lots and lots of thoughts. 
Six SEC teams in there. Number two, Bama. Number three, Georgia. Number six, LSU. Number eight, Florida. Number 12, A&M. And number 16, Auburn. How about this? I tweeted this out, and I was, I was interested to see what the response was going to be to something like this. So seven of the top eight teams in the AP poll have a current SEC quarterback or a former SEC quarterback on it. Breaking news, by the way, Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts are starting for their respective teams this year. I know. You're stunned. I'm, I'm stunned as well. Yeah. Um, but those two as well, Shea Patterson, are all going to be part of that that group that's in the top eight. And then AM is at number 12, and Jacob Eason starting for Washington at number 13. That's nine of the top 13 teams in the country that have basically a quarterback with SEC ties. That's kind of amazing to think about. I don't know what that says. The SEC about. don't produce no good quarterbacks, Paul. I got a lot of comments like that. Yeah. That um, no, that, that, that was really interesting. I wish I would have retweeted that because you're on my team. And instead, I didn't see that until you, we started the Google Doc. Um, and I retweeted Cole Kublik's stat about that, which is, I mean, it's so crazy. It's like the the former starter for number two is at number four. Um, and then I think like it was like the number four, the former starter at number three is at 13 and the back is at five. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. Um yeah, it's just, I mean, the SEC footprint, just we're worldwide. We go everywhere. Yeah, it's a lot of those comments of like, oh, SEC quarterbacks dominate. But I, I think it just says the SEC, the, the talent of SEC quarterback that, you know, have, have yeah. gone to other places as well is pretty impressive. It's it's very amazing that it worked out because that, I, I guarantee you, like, if you go back and look at the AP poll, it has never quite worked out like that where, oh, no. the Pac-12 has had a year like that with quarterbacks. Yeah. Just well, just kind of an odd set of circumstances that led to that. And we've talked about it before and just about how, you know, the lack of first-round quarterbacks from the SEC and, and the drought that they're currently in since Johnny Football and all that kind of stuff, which is like, what, a six-year drought, five-year drought. Um, but regardless, I mean, we talk about how this class was going to, you know, reshape <laughs> that entire argument. And change that whole narrative. And it's obvious, not even just from the From and Tua talk that we've had a bazillion times. The other stuff as well, it's, it's, it obviously has, has changed that narrative. There are some big issues that I have. Not, not a ton of big issues. Yeah, but let's get into them. Cause are you talking about the some. poll or in general? The poll. Okay. Just the poll. Dang, I thought it was just, okay. Oh, just the big issues yeah. in life. Me just too. Frustrations. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought that there were a few things that, that stood out to me um, just I, I've said throughout the offseason, LSU should be ahead of Ohio State to start the year. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times a team with a first-time head coach and a first-time starting quarterback have been a preseason top-five team. Yeah, that, that, to me, is a big question mark, especially with all the issues that Ohio State had on defense last year. LSU has way fewer question marks yep. in what they have returning on that team. Um, I just thought that LSU that should be ahead of Ohio State. That's that's small, though. That's, that's one spot. And then the same thing... At, Again, with Florida and Michigan. I think Florida should be ranked ahead of Michigan for the simple fact that what happened in January was, I mean, it was dominant. Don't get me wrong. And Florida returns, obviously, a lot of production on the offensive side of the ball. You still feel good about what they have returning. And it's not like, you know, Michigan obviously lost its top three defenders. And yes, you can say that Michigan, this is the year that they're going to win the Big Ten and all that. But at the same time, like, let's not just forget what we saw in January, which was very, very one-sided. Um so those are the two two kind of smaller things. I still think that Auburn should be a fringe top twenty five team to start the year. Just That's crazy to me. Just just because of the fact that they went three and five in SEC play last year, and you got a, a first time starting quarterback, either a redshirt freshman or a true freshman. All the issues that they had last year, 
we think that the running game is going to be better. We think that they're going to be better on the offensive line, but it, it, it's still kind of a wait and see, and it's projecting long term. I, I like I said, I think Auburn's going to win nine games this year. Yeah. But I think to start the season, it's a different it's a different argument when it comes to that. Yeah, and I don't really understand that argument, so I'm not going to get into it with you right now. But um, <laughs> no, I, I was so I was surprised they were so low, and 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 part of this is sixteen. Yeah, and, and that's not like I'm not saying it's low because it's necessarily indicative of where they like Auburn's a top 10 team I, I feel like a lot of times when the AP comes out a lot of this is very very much based off of like a regional bias and and if you've ever if you ever look if you ever want to just spend a majority of your Sunday angry go look at the AP poll broken down by voter and look at like some of the places that you you know out in like Nebraska or Washington how they kind of have you know what their view of the top twenty-five is. I, I was surprised that they were so low because the the only marquee game we really have in week one, not week zero, but week one, is Auburn and Oregon. So that that kind of surprised me. That I, cause I thought it was going to be like a top build as a top ten matchup. I, I think they maybe should be a little bit higher. I'm surprised that A and M is at twelve with that schedule. And but that's that's the thing. The schedule shouldn't have any impact on that at all whatsoever. Yeah. There's no way that this if this like I said last week, if the schedule is factoring into a preseason ranking yeah. of a team, you're doing it wrong. It's preseason yeah. ranking. Let me, let me restate what I'm saying. I think 12 is too high because they're going to lose five games. There you go. Well, but that's so that's the thing though. That's still because like, of their talent. They're they're not they're not going to be they're not the 12th best team in the country. Is what I'm saying. But okay, but what I'm saying is that they're they're facing the top three teams in the country, which. You know, the, I, Ralph Russo had some stat about that, about how that hasn't happened in the last, yep. like since like 1975, that South Carolina and Auburn are both, or South Carolina and AM are both facing the top three teams. And then obviously AM also has to face LSU to end the regular right. season. AM's schedule is just absolutely brutal. And I think yeah. that you won't know if they're in that spot. But I look at what they return and the fact that they do have Kellen Mond. I like what they have in Justin Matabuke leading the defensive line. Their run defense, I think, is going to be really, really strong with Mike Elko back. And, and I do think that, that AM deserves to start at number 12. And I'm kind of glad, actually, that writers didn't just look at their schedule and kind of do what we did a little yeah. bit with LSU last season, where we sort of wrote them off in the preseason and it's kind of getting a little bit ahead of ourselves and trying to project instead of just focus on what do they return and right. what did we just see them well, do. Okay, but also when I say that, and, and this is where I'm, I'm going to get heated here, because when we say what did we just see them get do. heated. We, yeah, I am. So when we say what did we just see them do, what everyone tends to forget is they won a seven-overtime game against LSU, which was total BS yep. based off of the, the refs, and that switched from going eight and four, from seven and five to eight and four, and then they got to go play NC State in a bowl game. Just call me wrong if I'm wrong, but like there's a big difference between being like, oh man, year one they had nine wins and they did this, they did this. You got blown out by Bama. You should have lost to LSU. This year you got to go to LSU and you get Bama at home and you got to go to Clemson. The schedule aside, they're not going to be better than they were last year, in my opinion. That's I, I just am, I'm shocked that we're going to put them at 12 based off of again not just the schedule, but you, you lose you lose your your like the. Tight end who had like the most, I think it's first or second most yards in the entire country. Almost had a thousand yards from the tight end. That's, Sandberg, that, yeah. that's hard to replace. You bring in you bring in Baylor Cup and he's out for the season. You lose your a running back that was like you've said several times one of the most productive running backs that we will ne- that no one talked about yeah. in in like the last ten years in the SEC. I, I get it's year two. I there's I don't think they're the twelfth best team in the country. They they will be over time. Fair enough. The the one that really got me most upset. This, this whole, all right, so I guess there were two things that really got me more upset than anything. Kentucky did not get a single AP vote. <laughs> not 
one stinking vote. A 10-win Power 5 team yeah. did not get one stinking vote. And Say that's that a again. freaking travesty. A 10-win Power 5 team did not get one vote right. in the AP poll. Meanwhile, South Carolina, who has lost to Kentucky Every five year. Five years. Five years in a row. Five straight years. And I don't I, I won't even throw I won't even talk about the South Carolina schedule and how I think that's gonna impact them. Just look at what they did last year. They haven't won. They have. They've lost ten straight games against top twenty-five teams, and 15, 15 writers said that they're yep, they're worthy of top twenty-five. Meanwhile, zero, yeah. zero looked at Kentucky and what Mark Stoops has built over there and said, you know what? It's a Maybe damn dynasty. A top twenty-five team. <laughs> no, Give I mean, me a break, so man. here, no, I, I, I agree with you, man. I love it. Now you're heated. I'm heated. We're just I'm this, heated. I, we're gonna get some sirens in the background here soon. We're gonna have a day. Um, <laughs> no, I mean the stuff with Kentucky. You're right, and it's it's like. So I, I, I even part of me went to like that whole, just old school mindset of like, well, yeah, like why would they get a vote? They lose all these this production. They lose many stuff. But what you said is right. I'm wrong here. Like, and and I'm sure that a lot of our audience is like, why would they get a vote for the same exact reasons? A ten win Power Five school in the SEC in the in the most <sighs> difficult conference in the SEC like in the country didn't get a single vote. That's crazy. And like, I'm not as I'm not as surprised that. If you had told me Carolina had more uh, votes than they did, I wouldn't be surprised. But what's what's crazy is that like it's it's the same. The biggest the biggest I don't say travesty, but like the biggest bamboozlement and hoodwinks and whatever you want to say every single year that we fall into is the same thing it's like it's like me saying oh i'm gonna lose the weight this year i'm gonna fit into those old clothes it's the same thing with south carolina like i don't think we're gonna lose to kentucky this year well you've been saying it for five years man i you know what like maybe sure maybe you got the snide this year but you can't be on the schneid against kentucky for five years over under um, 1.5 walls punched through between Stoops and Cash Daniel upon seeing that South Carolina got 15 votes in the AP poll and Kentucky got zero. Wait, hold on. <laughs> say, it, say it again. <laughs> Over under 1.5 walls punched through between Stoops and Cash Daniel yeah. upon oh, seeing it's, that it's South over. Carolina... Yeah, it's it's over. I was, it's it's probably gonna look two. like it's gonna look like a Kyle on a on a monster binge fest after he after he got <laughs> broken up with by his girlfriend. Just just I mean Swiss cheese walls. Oh gosh. And then the other thing that got me just I, I've been I've been saying this all off season as well. Look, I, I spent I spent two and a half years out in Nebraska. I know we've talked about this before. I knew the Nebraska hype Jesus. train was gonna get rolling at the end of last season because of how they played against Ohio State and the fact that they won four of six games down the stretch, which isn't that impressive. Not but the Big whatever. Ten. But they've got Adrian Martinez back and everybody believes in Scott Frost. I get all of that. You can say that you think Nebraska's gonna be in the Big Ten West hunt, whatever. Sure. To put them as a preseason top twenty five team is horrible. 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 They are. They went. Besides the fact that they went four and eight last year, they only they're number ninety two of one hundred thirty FBS teams in percentage of returning production. The great Say it louder SBH. for the people number in the back. Number ninety two in percentage of returning production. Everybody's like, oh, they got Adrian Martinez back. They're gonna be a high flying offense. They were terrible on defense last year. The fact that a four and eight team is starting off in the top twenty five. That's the worst record to make it into the AP poll since Bama in two thousand one. When they had the, they were ranked number twenty-five to start the year after that three and eight season. And I'll have you know, oh. opening game we showed up against UCLA and game day was, and we got beat. We got beat badly. Um, no, I mean you're right. Like what's, what's more, 
people talk about an SEC bias, and, and and like, sure, absolutely. This is literally what my job is. But <laughs> I don't want to. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get up on this soapbox, and I'm not coming down for a second because you talk about an SEC bias. There is no program. There's no set of programs that get more love and benefit of the doubt in this entire damn country for college football than Ohio State and Michigan, and especially Michigan. And I can't say Michigan enough because it's definitely Michigan. But Nebraska coming in here, not just are they, not just are they ranked. They At one point, Adrian T- Taylor Martinez? Adrian, Adrian Martinez. Adrian Taylor Gonzalez. Martinez was the quarterback at the beginning of the day. I, I called yeah. him Adrian Gonzalez. So that was the old DH from the Red Sox. Was, anyway, you know how I am with names. But no, anyway, Martinez, he had the third best odds in the Heisman. Like, if you have the 92nd best anything, you shouldn't be ranked in the top 25, to be honest. And it's just, it's crazy. The hype train, yeah, they lost their first six games of the year. I don't care, I don't care they, they won four of the last six. I don't, you're in, you're in what I think is the weakest division in all of college football in the Big Ten West. I understand road games in Iowa are tough, but other than that, like, get out of here with that. I, I just, I don't understand why we're, we're giving, like, no, this, this is the year. Is it? Is it ever? Yeah, it, get out of here. It's it's a bit ridiculous. It's somebody who who still like I still obviously follow that very like very closely. I have you know friends from from back in Nebraska. Yeah, who, you know it, it's it, it's a joke. Four yeah. and eight team. It's a four and eight team. Right. Um. So I've got a fun fact for you. Um. My alma mater, Indiana. The last time Indiana was in the AP poll, get this. <laughs> September 20th, 1994. I'm going to go Darren Ravel with a couple of these stats. Oh, God. That was two days before the pilot episode of Friends. Wow. Um, Michael Jordan was still playing baseball back then, uh, which you might remember. That is 1,299 weeks in a row that Indiana has not been in the AP Top 25. So anybody that ever like comes out and is like, oh, you're probably like an Indiana fan or whatever... All right. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just, just waved bye bye to that a long time ago. Very, very proud of the school that I went to. Don't get me wrong, but okay, like don't, don't ever try and play that card with me. But I, I thought that was a fun fact that you would get you as a, as a Bama fan would yeah. get a good kick out of. No, that's. Good. I mean, I'm surprised too because, I mean, Antoine Randall, he's a guy. He's a person. He's he's a human being who went there, man. He scored some touchdowns. Been, they've never been ranked. That's crazy. I honestly don't know what's. That's yeah. That's a that's a crazy stat. Um, Good old so, IU football. <laughs> Those school, new facilities, man. by the way, are sick. I mean, the basketball program is it, it's the Carnegie Hall of college basketball. That's what they say. Sure. Um, the other stat that I thought was interesting that Brett McMurphy threw out there. Since 2011, shout out Zach Smith. Since 2011, I shouldn't have said that. Nope. Since 2011, at least one team started the year in the top 10 and finished unranked. So... That begs the question, who is the team that is in this current top 10 that is going to finish this year unranked? It's Georgia or Florida. Y'all talk amongst yourselves and settle it. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's tough, man. I, so I don't want to say Florida. I want to say Notre Dame, but it's it's freaking Notre Dame. So you I know thought you were definitely going to say that. I, it's just you know that, what, the Notre Dame or Florida part? I thought definitely Notre Dame. I was, the yeah, I mean, like, me it's no, but Notre Dame... Their schedule, I haven't looked at their schedule. I know they've got a loss coming uh, in September when they come to Athens, that's for sure. Um, they, do they play Clemson? or do they, they play Clemson next year. I think they get Florida State or something like that, or Miami this year. I, I don't know their schedule well enough, and, and I know it's Notre Dame, so they will always, always get the benefit of the doubt and be the top 25. 
I want to say Florida just because that schedule is tough to, and there's there's some you know there's a possibility of it going sideways in a couple places. But I guess Texas is right. I mean, you, Iowa State's going to be better than people think. Mm-hmm. They got to play Oklahoma. Um, what's oh they got to play LSU week two. So that yeah. I think that could be a couple issues. Texas, yeah, Texas is the one just because of the the fact that the lowest percentage of returning production of any Power 5 team yeah. in America. That's what we've talked about with them as it relates to that Week 2 matchup against LSU. I, I, could, I could see that that team with that schedule not necessarily having the success that many are expecting, the yeah. whole like Texas is back type thing. And maybe they'll have great moments this year, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't, I'm not sure that they're going to have necessarily the, the consistency to be a top-10 right. team by season's end. And I mean, Baylor is going to be better. Or, to be ranked. Gary even. Patterson, you gotta, you got to play against them. I don't understand the whole Big 12 conference, I'll be honest. It seems like it's damn everywhere. Did you start naming random matchups? You're like, Baylor. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying like universities that I know are in Texas. That's all I'm saying. Oklahoma State's going to play Kansas <laughs> State. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's going to be a hell of a Friday night game. Next uh, fourth and wrong is just going to be us rattling off our favorite Big 12 matchups for the entire year. <laughs> well, like, I think the Big 12 has ruined a lot of college sports and like funding for college sports just because, and it, just real quick, because... It's a fire take. No, it, it really has. And the only reason why is because you had this whole just desperate grab for for like, for like universities after like they did the the shift in, in um, or like, you know, like shifts of like new conference teams. Realignment. Like that. That's the word I'm looking for. There you go. Um, yeah, the conference realignment. But like having West Virginia in the in the in the Big Twelve is outrageous. Like it I doesn't love make it. any sense. So like yeah, it's it's hard to get up for like you know a Wednesday night basketball game when you've got to fly from Morgantown to Stillwater. Is that a, is that a place? Stillwater. Stillwater. Oklahoma State. There you go. <laughs> Let's move on to the Crystal Ball. <laughs> yeah. SEC East Crystal Ball. Uh, the other day we did the West. If you missed that, go listen to that. I, I guess you don't have to listen to that first, but I just yeah. go listen to it if you haven't. Um, the East. Predicted order finish that I have for the Crystal Ball, which all those are up on SDS. I am on record for all of these. If you want to Google them, hold all me hostage. That's totally fine. Do what you got to do. All right. Georgia finishing first. 11-1 overall, 7-1 in the SEC Florida finishing second, nine and three overall, five and three in the SEC. Kentucky third, eight and four, and four and four in the SEC. Mizzou fourth, but same records, right. uh, eight and four, uh, same conference record, eight or four and four, but losing that game to Kentucky. And then Tennessee, I have it seven and five overall, three and five in the SEC. South Carolina. Five and seven overall, two and six in the SEC, and then Vandy also five and seven overall, two and six in the SEC. What stands out with that order of finish to you? I want to know what four teams you think Mizzou's losing to. First and foremost, go. Okay, so losing. And then, and then to... I'll stand here and and I'll, I'm going to clench my my paws into the desk so I can I can pounce and tell you why you're wrong. Okay, so the one the one I have one of my biggest upsets. Uh, is South Carolina beating Mizzou at Mizzou. Um, and I realize that that one's not going to be... After the Bama game, they're going to go to Mizzou and just just rally. Right. They're, yeah. Okay. Well, I, th- I, I think that South Carolina, like the speed that they're going to have to get up to early in the season, yeah. I think is going to benefit them a that's lot a point, in division yeah. play. Um, but yeah, that's so that's, that's an upset that I have pulling off just because... I'm not sure quite. I think it falls in a. Doesn't it fall in like a weird time, like a sleeper time for Mizzou? Central time zone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think Mizzou is going to be in the top 25. Maybe getting a little bit overconfident. Maybe looking ahead to that Georgia matchup. People talking about them going into that undefeated. They got a bye week the next week. (laughs) Don't think they get there. (laughs) 
I think they're looking ahead of the here's bye the, week. Here's, the, here's the, the, the upset of the year. Mizzou doesn't make it to the bye week. Um, no, I mean, that's I, I get that. So I'll say this real quick about the South Carolina schedule. When you look at it, I think UNC is going to be easier than, than people think. And they're starting a true freshman quarterback who has more facial hair than I'll ever have, which is C. Crazy. Wright's got UNC beating South Carolina. That's because he's from North Carolina and doesn't nine one nine baby. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but then they have Charleston, which you don't live to sleep on Charleston, um, and then Bama at home and at Mizzou. Do you know? Who, so just just hypothetically, and I'm not saying this to be negative here, Carolina fans, but hypothetically, that this is this is a team whose whose total wins in Vegas has shifted down to five and a half, which is that's. I'm not telling. crazy. That's telling. Yeah, you're right. But South Carolina, say they lose to Alabama, say they lose to um, Mizzou. You know who they got next? Kentucky. That's right. Things are reeling a little bit. That could be Things. That could be interesting. Yeah, Mark Stoops would love nothing more than to make it six straight yep. years of beating South Carolina. Yeah, so that's so I have Mizzou losing that game against South Carolina. I have them losing to Georgia, to Kentucky as well, as I just mentioned. And then I know, I know, I know, I know, Mizzou has outscored Florida by 50 the last two years. But yeah. I think Florida actually has the weapons to be able to stop to, to stop Mizzou this year because I think I think in, in the past two years, I think Mizzou has been able to take advantage of Florida over the top. Drew Locke has been a good guy to be able to, to right. just rip up this kind of the back point. end. And I don't think Kelly Bryant is that guy where he's really going to be able to exploit Florida on the back end yeah. like Drew Locke has been able to do. So I think they actually match up a little bit better um, just, just from that standpoint and what the, the big weakness that Mizzou was able to, to take advantage of last year. So I do think that Florida stops that skid and gets a win against Mizzou to kind of separate themselves into the, the second-place discussion in the division. No, that's fair. Um, so I, I, I'm really high on Mizzou, and, and the biggest reason why is the schedule. The schedule is just – it sets up so well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, like if, when you look at it and, and, and just think about this. If you if you get two breaks, like if you if you have a twelve game schedule, it, it might be best like all right half of the season we'll just reset we'll take our bye week six and six you know just split it up nice and even their schedule literally goes four games week off four games week off four games I it, it there's not anything until late that's that's really concerning but when you have at Georgia which I think they're going to be undefeated going to Georgia and come off that to play Florida. I think you're gonna you're gonna be a little bit down. I know it's a home game, but I think Florida wins that game, and and Florida has Vandy the week before. I'm obviously big on on scheduling, um, <laughs> so that's, a, that's what I'm basing this whole damn thing off of. Uh, so I think I think I have UGA eleven and one. I have Florida ten and two. I have Mizzou ten and two. Now that I've said it out loud, there's no way that those three things will happen. Yeah, but, that happen? <laughs> um, but no, I mean like I, I have Georgia being eleven and one with their only loss to A and M. Ooh, yeah, interesting. I think, and here's why: it's because you've heard me already say I don't think AM's that great. But when you have for Georgia's schedule, you have Florida, Mizzou, at, at Auburn three weeks in a row. That's a tough three-game stretch. That's a tough three-game stretch. So that because that's the regular se- the, or the SEC finale for Georgia right. is against AM. So if that were to happen. I, I could see there potentially being like Georgia already has the division locked up, and exactly. they still would technically have one loss to give going into the SEC championship. So I could I could understand yeah. that standpoint if it's a foot off the gas type deal. That's you interesting. will understand it because that's what I said. <laughs> um, no, so I, I have I have those teams <laughs> doing remarkably better than than some people. I so Tennessee again the te- this is besides when Syracuse had like the the five total wins to start like the betting year. Um, Tennessee at six and a half, I feel like this is a lock. 
Tennessee's going bowling this year. Um, I don't see him beating Florida. That's a loss. Nor do I. I, I don't see them beating Georgia. I, so I don't know if this is an upset or not, but I think they're going to beat Mississippi State. At no, home. that's not that big of an upset. Okay. That's not yeah, that big of an upset. Cool. And, and that's coming from me. Limb, but, yeah, um, no. yeah, but that's a home game. I, I think that is – it sounds weird because I know they beat Kentucky last year when Kentucky was ranked. I know they beat Auburn on the road last year. I feel like that's like a, a signature win almost for, for Pruitt. Like, hey, like things aren't the same. Like this is a game that's like a toss-up game that they, they could lose in years past. Like I don't see them losing that. Uh, they lose to Bama, and, and they're, they're not going to beat Mizzou. So I've got them going four and four in the division. I I, I could see them going three and five in the division, like you have, in, or yeah, in the SEC. In SEC, in SEC yeah. So I mean, yeah, that crossover game with Bama was a nightmare. Um, now what's interesting is Kentucky is one of the and you have them with eight wins, which is impressive. And I, I don't know if it's just because we just interviewed Cash and we're still like I had that healthy fear. No, I did this. I did this <laughs> prediction way way before that. Way before that, like over a month ago. Yeah, but but like Kentucky is one of the few teams that their odds. Like their team total has win total has moved up in the offseason. Mizzou's got up a full Sipping game. Kool-Aid. That's yeah, and then Kentucky went up a half game up to six and a half. So I, I could see them getting at seven and five. I don't see them beating Tennessee though, so I have them finishing below Tennessee um, at fifth. Or is it sixth? What is that? Fifth. So that would fifth, okay, yeah. Fifth. And then I, I see I got South Carolina going six and six, and I got Vandy going five and seven. Okay, so Kentucky, I took a lot of heat for this. A lot of heat. I know I've just been I, just been banging the drum for Kentucky. Florida fans got after me. They're like, "Oh, obviously you hate Florida <laughs> because you picked Kentucky to beat Florida." And you I did. Hate yeah. To say it. I hate to say it, Florida fans, but Kentucky's outplayed y'all each of the last two years. So let's that's not forget that two years, and people people do forget that. You're right. So, given the fact that that game is in Lexington this year, maybe a little bit of a, a little bit of the you know Mark Stoops doing what he does best getting his team fired up for a game that nobody thinks that they can win but I actually think they don't match up terribly against them I think that if Terry Wilson is going to be a guy who's going to stretch the field a lot more that's a place where Florida is vulnerable and Kentucky is more experienced up front than people realize on the defensive line yep. and if they're able to match up well with a young Florida offensive line then that's going to bode really well for Kentucky and what's going to be, you know, boding really well. Kroger Field, man. Kroger Field ain't no joke. Kroger Field gets loose on a a Saturday night, y'all. No, I I could see that. I don't don't necessarily disagree with that. I feel like, you know, it's weird. We talked about this last week, and we kind of joked around about it, but it's it's definitely a real thing is that it's so weird now that it's, 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 Talking season's over and feelings season is in full effect. Love like it. We, we are going to be hurting some feelings with some of these predictions, uh, or or maybe we're not, since I, I predicted half the SEC East to go ten and two. So <laughs> now, now let me hurt some Kentucky feelings here, because <laughs> yeah. I've got Kentucky losing to Vandy, and That's that fair. one, and, and that that one I, I think will be kind of a sign of of this division, and that I think the division is kind of going to beat up on each other a little yeah. bit, with the exception of Georgia, and. Last year, we forget, Keyshawn Vaughn did not play in that game. It was a 14-7 to game. Um, Ugh, and I already that was mentioned... a terrible game. It was rough. It, it was really, really rough. <laughs> I think both teams are going to score a lot more, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. But I, I do think that Vandy, with Keyshawn Vaughn, is able to is able to get it going. And I do think that that's a, a, considered an upset. And I think that's Vandy's most impressive win of the year. Just because yeah. I think at that point, because it's a little bit later in the season, too. So Kentucky could even be in the top 25. That would be a really nice win for, yeah. for Derek Mason and Getz. You know, and I think the, the one that's going to be interesting, the most interesting for me is... I do think Tennessee's going to be the most improved. I'm, I'm, I have my concerns about about Kentucky, but you know we'll see. Um, Vandy and South Carolina, I think, are, are the two most interesting because 
you have two teams that Vandy. It's not are they going to be improved. It's like, and this sounds weird, but is there a staying power that Vandy kind of has? You know what I mean? Like this is a team that's beat Tennessee three years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, are they good enough to go to a bowl game again? Because this is this is a gauntlet now in the SEC East. It's not like the SEC East from a couple years ago. This is a tougher division in South Carolina. You know, I think they're going to be one of the more improved teams in the SEC. I really, I really do. I think on the offensive line, they obviously have an upgrade at running back, but that front seven on defense is going to be way better than people think. That schedule is a nightmare. You were one of the 15 voters. It was, <laughs> it was definitely. I'll tell you, you one thing there's no damn way we lose to Kentucky this year. <laughs> said every South Carolina fan each of the last five years. Um, yeah, and then, so I already mentioned before that I have Auburn beating Georgia, which would be the. Uh, also considered a big upset. Not necessarily. That's a crossover game, so it's not just within the division. But noteworthy things. So as I said, have Mizzou losing two SEC games before Georgia in yeah. Week 11, that which would go dumb. against all of the preseason. Isn't, isn't it amazing that they've started 0 and 4, 0 and 4 or worse each of the last three seasons in SEC play? That is amazing, Connor. I will I will bet Baffling. you anything my, my fiance look at you with the southern accent. I'll bet you anything my fiance owns that doesn't happen this year. I, I just think Oh, I don't this, think it happens either. This Mizzou thing this Mizzou team is gonna be a lot better than I, th- people are finally starting to come on, on board the whole hot train. Um I, I just I think that they're gonna be a lot more sound football team. P- people there are people listening to this podcast, and I, I, I know we have a very well informed, smart, passionate fan base of oh, the yeah. SCS podcast. But there are people listening to this podcast who are going to at some point turn on their TV and hear the name Larry Roundtree the third, and be like, "Hold on, was that my? Is that guy sell me what's stocks and bonds?" Or like, "No, that's a running back that had 1,200 yards in the, in the SEC last year." They're going to be good. To f- easy to forget that. Easy yeah. to forget that. Some might say um, I may or may not have accidentally left him out of my top 25. Oh runs. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll take the L on that. I'll take the L. Um, sometimes you know you forget about a guy here and there, but yes, Larry Adam Spencer is just sitting at home right now, just writing your name down in lipstick in his in his own little <laughs> diary. Just piss. Man, am I glad I called that guy? Yes. I've been on point with the Billy Madison references. Yeah, lately. I'm glad that you picked up on that. Um, I think Georgia, after beating Florida, yes, sorry, Florida fans, I have Georgia beating Florida, will be number one in the country, and it'll be relevant, and it'll be. Um, Georgia taking over taking over Clemson's spot at number one. Who is That's Clemson lost to? Nobody. But Georgia will have a better schedule, and it'll be like, wow, Georgia will be undefeated at this point of the year, going into mid-November. Yeah, we need to give them the number one spot, and I don't think that they're going to be, you know, number one throughout the entire season. But going Good number answer. to one, <laughs> going number one wire to wire, it just in the AP poll. I didn't realize how how rare it was. It's, it's only very happened. rare. It's only happened twice. It happened in 99 with Florida State, and then it happened again in 2004 with USC. So good news. I, I guess that's circling back to the AP poll discussion, but good news for everybody else that isn't Clemson, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, I tell you what. What, what, is, what is the national – what is George Reitzer and, and the national reaction, especially for people out west, going to be if Georgia's undefeated and takes over the number one spot in the AP poll from an undefeated Clemson team? No, I don't think it would be that crazy because if we're talking about the ACC being really, really down, which I, I, I agree in the preseason, we think we have these things figured out. But if that if that does prove to be true, and you're looking on Cle- a Clemson schedule, and you're like, well, you know, they had the win against AM, Don't get me wrong, but oh, if man. they don't have those other top twenty-five wins, and it's just like a really down ACC, I don't know. But I think Connor. Syracuse is going to be good, and I think they will have at least two top twenty-five wins by that point. 
you're a sweet kid, Connor, but you know one of your biggest flaws is dealing uh, in in logic and reason, expecting the best out of everyone. So I, I, I just know. that is not going to be the reaction. But anyway, that's I, I like the crystal ball. That was good. Everyone's going ten and two. I'm like Oprah. <laughs> Y'all have a good one. You get double digits. You get double digit wins. Uh, we've got SEC fall camp updates. Um, a few things that I just thought were, were noteworthy over the weekend, and obviously these things are, are subject to change. Uh, very fluid situations that we're talking about here. Jeremy Pruitt talking about Trey Smith, the former <sighs> freshman All-American offensive lineman who Tennessee fans are hoping and praying for that, that, that he's going to be able to play this year. He's obviously dealt with the blood clot issue in his lungs. And Jeremy Pruitt came out and said that he's still involved with the team and that he's working hard every day. Um, he could still play the position apparently because he was he was in practice. He had like a, one of those you know like knockdown hits something like that. Um, but his status yeah. for the season is is unknown, and it, it's it's unfortunate because he's somebody that we talked about a lot two years ago and coming into the 2018 season. Everybody was really excited to see what what we were going to get from Trey Smith, and it kind of changes the trajectory of Tennessee a little bit because everybody talks about building when you're doing a rebuild, you need to be able to establish that offensive line control teams in the trenches and I think it's just a different discussion if you don't have Trey Smith at his full capabilities and what what Tennessee can ultimately do this season this could be and I you guys know that I'm may, maybe I've given too much credit and hype to the the potential that Tennessee offensive line with those two five stars but with Trey Smith on offensive line too this could be one of the best offensive lines in the SEC East I'll okay, just say East. Okay. okay all right <laughs> in the say, world let's... no I just it just sucks man because this you never wish an injury on on players and stuff like that, but that's this is this kid is he's done all the things he's done all the things you want out of a kid, and and he's done them you know seeming the right way. And when Tennessee, they're not back yet by any means, but like this kid was a was a lone bright star and just a mm-hmm. dark dark abyss of that program for for you know a couple of years ago. And I just I hate it for him, man. I hate it for him. Here's the good news: if Trey Smith is not going to be active, and if this is another rough season. Uh, on Rocky Top, you know, Tennessee is boozing this year. As we Big found time. out, Tennessee is going to be having alcohol sold in general seating areas. That is very, very good news. Now there that are is a six, mistake. <laughs> there are six teams in the SEC who are going to be winning and boozing. Tennessee, A&M, Mizzou, Arkansas, Vandy, and LSU. How many more by this time next year do you think we get? I think we so get somebody like Somebody said, I posted more. this. I posted a... a a graphic about this on on Instagram. Y- y'all know how I feel about drinking. It makes me feel whole inside. Um, but like, I, I just I, it. I don't get why more teams haven't come around to it. And and somebody said on on the Instagram post, they said Bama and, and Auburn will never will never do this. I State never of Alabama. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I I so Florida is still supposedly on the fence. They haven't decided yes or no. Um, I, I just think for for places like Kentucky. For places like I hate to say this, but you know Mississippi State or, or, or South Carolina, this is a great way to do something like Vanderbilt's doing and and kind of fund these new projects when you're reinvesting into your program and and keeping up with the Joneses in the conference. And this is it's a great money maker. It's I tell you what, you want to have a raucous environment, <laughs> Kentucky. You want Kroger Field to be lit. Allow people to put a little bourbon in that Coke. You know what I mean? Get a little, get a couple Miller lights like Cash Daniel said last week. I think I think we'll we'll see at least right now. There's like six of the fourteen. I, I, I think at least nine of uh, of the fourteen for next year, maybe More ten. Right. Yeah. Um. It, it will follow suit. And, and again, it, it is one of those things. 
you see the same thing with recruiting. And I know drinking is not the same, but like it, it is, it is a, a, it's a constant keeping up with the Joneses in the SEC. And 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 if one, you know, atmosphere has something, the other one doesn't. They're gonna, they're gonna want to also include it their own. Seven figure payday, man. I think, yeah, uh, I think a lot of teams will, will come around to that, and they'll they'll see. They'll this is kind of just the. They're they're being the, the guinea pig, so to speak. But I think I think that there are more benefits. We've it, talked about that, of course. I mean, it's, dude, I said this the other day. First of all, what you said is the best point: seven figure payday. But if if you're if this is a Bible Belt thing, and we're talking about how like, well, you know, it could only only worse things could happen. We already got grown ass men barking at people nonstop, and then ringing cowbells for three and a half hours. How much worse do you think it's gonna get if they have some alcohol involved? Not much. Of cowbells. Looks like Joe Moorhead has his starting quarterback. That's a little bit of read between the lines. Looks like he yeah. and Gus Malzahn, I think, both have their starting quarterbacks. And barring something drastic happening in the next day or two, I think that we're gonna we're gonna get an announcement from both of them midweek. I could be wrong on that, but um, so Gus came out on Sunday and basically said that they'll start game planning the next you know 24 to 48 hours. And it's it sounds like he said he'll have a starter announced in camp by midweek. Now, whether or not we hear that starter announced publicly, that's maybe a different story. Um, he also added that it's not going to be an announcement like he did with the SEC Network video. Uh, shout out to our guy, Josh Need, who did great work yeah. with that. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen that by now. If you have not, go check that out. Uh, Gus Malzahn doing Bachelor-type stuff. It was great. Um who is your? Are you sticking with the belief that Bo Nix is going to be the starting quarterback for this team, or do you want to get on the Joey Gatewood train right now? Don't even start like you're you're the conductor of the the Joey Gatewood train. First, hey, Malik Willis does not agree with anything you have to say. <laughs> I so Bo Nix threw three interceptions two weeks ago at practice or at their scrimmage. Um, so I I want to stick with Bo because I, I do think in the long run he's the better player. The, the bottom line is they're both going to play. They're both so going to play, yeah. but I think. Like series one, down one, uh, I think Gatewood probably comes out of the huddle. But I tell you what, this is not me hedging. This is just telling you how much of a miserable, um, vindictive person I am. If if Bo Nix comes out of off the sidelines into that huddle for, for the first one, I'm gonna gloat so oh I know so hard. I mean, just oh man, gloat so are you going to gloat more than you texting me Daniel Jones stat line updates <laughs> after those five passes in a freaking preseason That'll game? That'll never get old. It just, I mean, just the Chris Marler gloats and hoes fan club. It's going to be the best. It's going to be the best. Gosh. Uh, so Moorhead also over the weekend had some comments about the quarterback battle. He said the direct quote was, we kind of had an idea heading into the scrimmage uh, where we were based on all the information available and statistics, completion percentage, TD to INT ratio, explosive plays, and all of those things. You kind of have your gut feel watching it, but we'll grade it tonight, talk about it tomorrow, and make a plan moving forward from there. I included that, and in, a lot of people would just gloss over that quote, and maybe maybe would. Would they? But he's talking about passing stats. He's talking about passing, you know, accuracy and, and you know completion percentage, TD to INT. He wants a passer who can run. To me, I still Hunter, come back to my belief. I, nothing gets by <laughs> me. I still come back to the belief I think Tommy Stevens is going to be the guy. And I, I question what Keaton Thompson's role is going to be like moving forward. It, you know, I made the bold prediction that he wasn't going to be on the roster opening day. I think we're going to get an announcement really, really soon for Moorhead here. And I think it's ultimately going to be Stevens. No, I think, I think you're right. And I, I do think it's... It is definitely based off passing, and, and, and you know they set the bar pretty low last year with Nick Fitzgerald, but Keaton Thompson, yeah. in the limited action that we saw him, he, he didn't have the best... You know, th- this is not... 
what you brought up here is is, impress, is important. It's not just that these are passing stats. These are these are more so rooted in passing efficiency. Right. You know, like outside of the explosive plays and and, and all those things that he, he put in quotes and kind of brushed aside. Those are his words. Um, yeah, this is more of like protecting the football and having an efficiency. I think that there's there's still a role for Keaton Thompson in the offense though, because this is not a this is not an offense that you know I that was just blowing the doors off people last year or putting up a lot of numbers outside of Kylan Hill and, and, and Nick Fitzgerald. Yeah, and Moorhead would I, I think I do think that if it meant keeping Keaton if it meant keeping Keaton Thompson on the roster, I think that he would obviously look for packages to try and keep yeah. him involved. But at the same time, I think he wants somebody like Tommy Stevens to be able to get into a rhythm and if he is going to be the the guy is a first-time starter, and I, and I think that he's more of the belief that you can mess with the quarterback's rhythm if you're pulling him out at random series, or you know even doing a little bit of what Georgia did last year with Justin Fields yeah. and Jake Fromm, and how that can mess with the starting quarterback's confidence. Even Jake Fromm had had some interesting quotes in, uh, I believe, yeah, that was a it was a Sports Illustrated, yeah, Sports Illustrated story about um, Fromm just kind of reacting to to all that treatment with Fields. Um, Tim Rohan wrote the story, basically like followed Fromm around. Um, when he was fishing, and he talked about that element and how it can just kind of throw a quarterback off, and it yeah. just just kind of gets in your head. You don't know when you're coming out of a given game, and can't get no people, rhythm. Yeah, yeah. You saw in the SEC championship it. game last year, and I, I, I'm not saying that to be like you know like to bring it up like bad memories for Georgia fans, but there was times when me and you looked at each other in the moment, and I had bitten off my full fingernail, and and you're like, what the <laughs> hell is he doing? Like, what? Why is Fields coming in right now? Like, Fromm's having the game of his life. Why the hell is Fields coming in? Right. Um, Something that will um, give you bad memories. Bama is down another running back, at least for a week. Okay, this is at so least weak. for a this week. Is... I, I had to throw this in there just just to gauge your reaction on this. Uh, Saban uh, announced that Jerome Ford, the freshman, sprained an ankle. He's out a week. Uh, is wait, is Jerome Ford a freshman? I'm I don't a know. Chevy man, Connor. You know that. I don't know who this person is. No, I, no, I don't think it's. There's, there's, there was a lot of other things that we could have filled. With, I was just circling stuff. back to I was circling back to my point that I Bama now with three healthy backs going into the <laughs> season, um, all the more reason for Najee Harris to go 2015 Derrick yeah, Henry mode. That's fair. I hope that's that, I hope that is your glow. Can I can I throw in one thing real quick? Because I obviously you didn't notice this because you would have brought it up knowing how nice and, and supportive you are. Is on the SCS Facebook page I made a whole graphic for SEC Saturday scrimmage notes. I saw that. I used that for this. Yeah, that um, was very helpful. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bold prediction right now, Connor. I've I've I'm I'm riding this wave of confidence that I probably shouldn't be right now, but I'm I'm gonna go out here on a limb, and I'm gonna say a freshman receiver in the SEC. We we give a lot of love to freshman running backs in this league, um, and I think John Emery's gonna be great. I think Zamir White's gonna you know he's a redshirt, but I think he, he's gonna have uh, a good year. But a freshman receiver in this conference is going to make the All SEC team first, second, or third team by the end of this year. And and I, I said this in the summer that I think George Pickens is, is probably your best bet. But these kids at Arkansas, I, I thought Trey Knox was going to be the, the name that everyone would know by the end of the season. But this kid, Traylon Burks at, mm-hmm. at Arkansas, already getting a lot of praise from Chad Morris. Um, I, I, I think there's going to be a couple names. There's going to be a couple yeah, names at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult for, for receivers, though. Yeah. Really, really difficult. I think, it, like, freshman receivers, I, I know, like, we talk about how quarterbacks have sort of figured it out and how it, there's no such thing as too young uh, of a quarterback in this day and age in 2019, but 
I tend to just think I try to give receivers a little bit more patience, even the highly touted guys, just because I think yeah. you learn how to run routes and you learn how to actually go against guys who can cover you and you can't just you, you yeah. really have to be efficient with all of your steps and stuff like that. I just think it's super, super difficult for those guys to just come on and be playmakers right away, a la Amari Cooper, you know, in twenty twelve or something right. like that. No, that's a, and that's a good point. I just think that with those two programs especially, when you look at like what they're trying to do on offense and, and what for Arkansas, and then what Georgia yep. lost at receiver. So, yeah, they'll definitely have plenty of opportunities. That that is that is for darn sure. Um, all right, as I alluded to earlier, we talked with our good friend SDS's own Neil Blackman. He's got he's got Florida takes. We talk a little Florida Miami. We talk some Vegas stuff as well. Um, talk a whole whole bunch of, of Gator stuff. So, all you Florida fans, I, I promise we are, we are getting to that matchup, and we're going to talk about it more later in the week as well. But here is our interview with Neil Blackman. We're now excited to be joined by a very, very special guest. It is Neil Blackman. Neil, of course, does great work for us covering the Gators, so obviously we had to have him on ahead of Saturday's opener against Miami. Neil, before we talk Gators, uh, you were doing lawyer stuff before we hopped on here. Tell us the most interesting thing about your day up to this point, besides talking to us. Um, I mean, I had a <laughs> three-hour deposition about someone falling down this morning. I don't know how interesting oh. that is, but we definitely got to talk to uh, to a forty-year-old uh, or a forty a doctor with forty years of, of experience, which is always you know they have a lot of stories to tell. And falling down, uh, I'm treating people that fall down. Okay. <laughs> are we talking like I've fallen and I can't get up, or are we talking like yeah, I mean, a this serious fall? Is like this this lawsuit that we're working on right now is like literally. It feels like that commercial, <laughs> except that oh, God. they right. found someone. To, <laughs> except they found someone to sue. <laughs> oh, jeez! All right, well, well, we'll get you. We'll give you a little break here to talk about more exciting things. Um, so, it, obviously, it's been an interesting offseason at Florida. There have been a lot of good things, you know, Dan Mullen signing a top 10 recruiting class, landing Brenton Cox from Georgia, and so on. There have obviously been the bad things as well, the Jalen Jones thing, Chris Steele, uh, having five signees be off the team before the opener, and the whole thing that happened with Carson Beck. How would you grade Mullen's first real offseason in Gainesville? C minus. Um, wow. C minus, I think. And, and look, Here's why. You lose your top recruit. I don't care if he was homesick or he wasn't. Um, you know, I think I think it was sort of a. I was homesick and I needed a way to make that look less bad. Um, and I don't, don't want to bury Chris Steele at all. But the bottom line for Florida is that they lost him. He's gone. So you lose Steele. Uh, I also think that the academic things. You know, it's fun to make the jokes, but. For, for the Twitter sphere, but the reality for Florida yeah. is they have to take some chances on people, right? Because they're behind Georgia and Alabama. So if you take chances on four stars and say, well, I can get these guys in, then you up the number of blue chips on, on your uh, roster. And it's an approach that Mullen said he was willing to take. And unfortunately for Florida, this time it just didn't work. There, there's not an example of, you know, they didn't get any of those guys in except for maybe Keon Zipper. <laughs> So, uh, so when you go like one for five on the academic risk, so to speak, that's not good. And yeah, I mean the class is still still readjusted would be ranked ahead of Florida State and Miami. But you know, Florida fans aren't 
you know, they're, they might be okay with that, but they're not competing against Florida State and Miami right now. They're trying to catch Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, that found that out the hard way last week on uh, on Twitter. Um, so <laughs> Florida, Florida, Florida fans have been like they they are some of the most passionate fans I, in all of the country, but especially in the SEC. And and I don't I'm not saying it's in a negative way, but it's it's one of those things I think you've done a really good job about is being kind of self aware, but for the program. What what's been the toughest pill Florida fans have had to swallow this off season? Um, you know. I think that they kind of bounced back from the steel thing pretty well. And, you know, they're happy that they, that they're willing to take the brunt of the jokes about the five star coming from Georgia, right? Like the Georgia fans are also having a field day with that. Like you're only five stars, someone that was going to be third string at our program. Right. So I think there's, there's that element, but I would say that I, I think the hardest, the hardest blows have been uh, Diaby Hammond, not being able to qualify uh, on the offensive line, I think, because he's a guy that everybody wanted. And so I would start there and then just sort of say that John Huggins being dismissed uh, for failing to kind of meet the program standard is is a big problem, too, because that's a guy that was going to play meaningful downs. Right. Yeah, that's a good point too. I, I think though one of the one of the positive offseason developments for Florida, and really you could probably go back to since the Mizzou game, the way that Felipe Franks has handled himself, basically kind of since then, or I guess you, if you want to go back since South Carolina or whatever it was after that, I, I think he's handled himself extremely well, and I think he's done himself some favors this offseason. Maybe he realizes what's at stake, and if he is going to have people looking at him from the next level, this is the type of test that he needs to ace. We've talked, you know, me and you, we've talked about quarterback rankings and how kind of the three through seven spots are really close. In your opinion, where exactly does Felipe rank in the SEC right now? Probably somewhere in that group, I would imagine, for you, right? Yeah, I had him. Well, I didn't. I ranked the ones that Florida would be playing. And when I did it, I said, you know, where would I put Franks in this group? And so for me, um, you know, and, and I'll probably take grief for this. I would put him ahead of Burrow and behind uh, the guarantee. So I, I put him right in between those guys based on just what I think they're capable of on a football field. And I, know, I understand a lot of people like Joe Burrow a lot. And I, look, I think he's the, the identity. He's like the heart of that program at LSU. I think Coach Orgeron would probably say that. But, um, but I don't know, you know, and it's hard to know with, with Tennessee just because you don't know if they're going to be able to block anybody. But you give that dude time, and, and I, and I think, uh, I think if you give that dude time, man, I, I actually think he's really good. So that's where I put him. And you know, the SEC is a really good quarterback league, right? So top five quarterback. Marler loves Garantano. I, I love Garantano. Although Neil, don't be don't be speaking put words in my mouth about Joe Burrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I, no, but I, 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 I think like you're right. The okay, that's fair. Uh, so it's it's an interesting thing with Franks because like I wouldn't say, especially again after last week on Twitter, I wouldn't say I've been down on Franks. I just think that like it's interesting when you think that year two him progressing, and and there's a lot of excitement and hope that he will in year two, but his numbers in year one were great in Mullen's offense. So what does that kind of progression look like in your eyes? Uh, it looks like a Dak Prescott type leap, where you know they're good numbers and. 
but there's still a lot of discussion about is he a game manager or is he a game changer? And right. and I think, uh, you know, you can be a really good game manager, Chris Leak was for, for Dan Mullen, or you can be sort of a game-changing quarterback like Dak or Tebow. I don't, you know, Felipe is not Tim Tebow, but that's not like people get so upset. That's not an insult. Like we're talking about one of the right. best players in the history of college football. Like, well, he's not one of the best players ever. Okay. Um, but, and, and I don't think he's Dak, but look, he, he accounted for 31 touchdowns last year, only six interceptions and his November numbers. I, I didn't do the, the hard work of figuring out what they were from the second half of the South Carolina game on, but I know that there wasn't a turnover and we're talking about a guy that accounted for double-digit touchdowns in those last four games. And two of those yeah. games were against top ten, top ten defenses. Florida State came in with top ten defense. Michigan came in with a top two defense, albeit one missing probably their two best defensive players. But, I mean, it's not like they had, you know, scrubs backing up uh, right. Devin Bush. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the situation with Franks last year, I thought it was pretty cut and dry. And, if Franks was going to be the guy, then Mullen was going to give him every opportunity, and that's ultimately what happened. And Emory Jones, as excited as Florida fans were, you knew that you have the redshirt rule there. That's all different now, and it's different because Emory Jones wants to play. Florida fans want to see him play, and they also want to see Felipe Franks do well. But then there's also the thing at the end of the year where Felipe does have 2020 still eligible if he wants it. Now, there are a lot of different ways that this thing can go. How do you see this ultimately playing out with Florida's quarterbacks? Well, I think that they're going to use – I'm very high degree of certainty they're going to have a package or some sort of package almost every week for Emory Jones. Um, he had too good a fall camp for most accounts for that not to be the case. Uh, so I think you can kind of say Kyle Trask is out of the picture, but I'm sure Dan Mullen loves the fact that he's on campus in case the wheels completely come off or the other two guys. Uh, get hurt. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be Franks with packages for, for Emory, particularly, I think, in the running game. Like, Felipe is a willing runner. The defenses are going to have to respect that. But they're still going to have some packages where they can use Emory Jones to do some of the stuff that maybe Mullen doesn't want to do, you know, because it puts him at risk for injury. Um, so I think a little more of the Tebow League type dynamic um, oh, this God. year that, that <laughs> Mullen is. <laughs> that Mullen is kind of comfortable with, although Emory is a different kind of, kind of a different kind of runner. He's more of like a Jalen Hurts type runner than a, than a you know bulldozer. Um, I can't believe you said Emory but, Jones is is like Tim Tebow and Felipe's not man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, no, but I don't think we'll ever get in a situation where Florida's playing you know a homecoming game and and people are are chanting for for Emory Jones to come on the field this year. When they're all SEC quarterback is is the starter, right? Sure. Like so, the league Tiba thing was weird, but but I think that that's kind of how the roles will be defined. And and you know, look, Felipe, uh, if he plays like he did in November, then and improves, then you know, I, that there's a really high ceiling for for what he is, just from a talent standpoint. So I mean, then the obvious question after that, in your opinion, Felipe gone to the NFL or Major League Baseball. We all know about his 95-mile-an-hour vessel. <laughs> um, do you think that's the path he ultimately takes after this season? I think the the worst-kept secret around the Florida program is that this is Felipe Frank's last season, barring 
something weird happening. You know, maybe he gets hurt. Right. A season-ending injury or, you know, I, I made the joke about Tennessee. Well, if Florida can't block anybody, then who knows? You know, if Levy's right. supposed to get that combine invite, he has to be invited to the combine to feel comfortable about leaving. Right. Your reaction to, um, you know, moving things forward to, to this weekend and what obviously everybody's talking about with this Florida-Miami matchup, hearing that Florida-Miami are renewing the home-and-homes and that this is going to start to be a thing in the mid-2020s, what was your reaction upon upon hearing that news? I think it's great. It's, it's a long time coming, um, just in the sense that it's something that Steve wanted, Spurrier wanted to play him every year. Um, and Jeremy Foley was like, well, you know, I don't know if we need to do that revenue-wise. That was back before there was the guaranteed 12th game for most of the Spurrier tenure, so it made some sense to be kind of reluctant to do that. Urban wanted to play him every year. Uh, so really, when Florida's had it good, their coaches have been like, yeah, let's go play those guys. And Jeremy Foley was like, no, Scott Strickland thinks it's great. So they finally got kind of the go-ahead from their administration to do it. And uh, and to Miami's credit, for the most part, Miami has always been willing to to play the game. So I think uh, it's great. I think it's important for Florida's recruiting footprint in South Florida, especially the way that, that Kirby Smart has this kind of Florida strategy and that Dabo Sweeney has this Florida strategy. Like the Gators, as a program, need to be very effective in South Florida because the spigot in Jacksonville is kind of choked off. Yeah, that's a that's really good point. That's a really, really good point. Um, so, talk about the Miami-Florida game. Traditionally, and I don't mean this in a bad way to you or Florida fans, but traditionally Florida doesn't play a very strong September schedule, I feel like, like the first two games of the season, mainly because the back half is so strong. They they usually have that opener against Tennessee. Um, but, it, you know, trying to schedule Miami, I know they have a, a, a home-and-home with Texas in the, in the future. Is this more of a trend we're going to see? Yeah, I think I think that they're going to get I think Florida's aiming to play, you know, these bigger games and I think that that's just kind of following the the national footprint. Um and I think that being in the I mean this is probably a better question to pose to Connor, right? But I think that just the SEC provides some sort of security blanket for that. Like you can you can take an L in the SEC. And like Alabama has proven that, Georgia has proven that you can still get into the playoffs the way the current system is constructed. If you lose, you go play somebody really good and lose to them. Yeah. It's, it's not as huge a deal. Now, I don't know if Miami will be on that level, but certainly when you talk about playing Texas, you know, there's that. Uh, but Florida's problem with it, I think, for me, is they need to be somewhat careful just because, and I would say this about LSU too, because yeah. both those teams play each other. And I just think that crossover game is so brutal and so much harder than what anyone else has including Auburn and Georgia, that, um, yeah, I mean, it's that's tough. Talking about this year's Florida team and what we have expected to see, uh, what we're expecting to see this Saturday, this current Florida team's biggest weakness or question mark is what, in your opinion? It's offensive line. Uh, it's for, look, it's four upperclassmen. You know, it's, it's four upperclassmen, so it's a bunch of dudes that waited their turn. Um, and then one freshman, Chris Bleich, who was pretty well regarded out of high school. But still, uh, they return, they're 126 and starts returned in Division One, and I think second to, 
second to least number of starts returning in the Power Five. So it's definitely that position. Yeah, and especially after last year, because it was the total opposite going into last year. I've been saying it, Connor. Um, so I appreciate you saying it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll send you $10 on Venmo later for saying that on the podcast. Um, no, so talking about this game, I like I don't really care about the X's and the O's. I thought I was going to, but it's now the season, which means it's time for gambling. And Miami is, I'm sorry, Florida is a, currently a seven-point favorite over Miami. Uh, the over-under is at 48. So what I'm thinking is, I'm going to do a little teaser. I like I like Florida and the under. What, what do you think about this? What's the best bet of the weekend in this game? Yeah, I think Gators under is the best bet. You get a lot of these like 30, 40 burger jokes from Gator fans, and I don't think they're paying too much attention <laughs> to what's about to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like you guys are drinking the Kool-Aid, don't know what flavor it is, right? Like, come on. I, the, the, there is... I guess there's a scenario where, where Florida just goes out there and boat races these guys, but it's it just seems unlikely to me. The top ten defense, it's a personal game. It's a rivalry game. It's going to get chippy. It's going to be kind of ugly. Um, and then, I, you know, quite honestly, I think the difference is probably as ridiculous as this is to say. Uh, it's, it's a weird thing to say after multiple years of questioning him, but as I wrote today, it's Saturday down south. The difference will be Felipe Franks. I mean, it just you know, yeah. I think he'll make, he'll make play. He'll make plays um, with that wide receiver core, and Florida will pull away late. So I kind of, I kind of think like what twenty-four to ten type range. That's where I'm at. I, I don't know if Miami will score ten on y'all. I really, I think, I think it is going to be like a blowout. But like, I don't think, like you said, I don't think it's going to be like a forty burger type thing. And again, I want to say, <laughs> like you said, those are his words, not mine. <laughs> All right, Neil. One more before we let you go, and this is. Probably the most important question that we've asked you, um, that we've asked anybody, maybe ever. Tathan Martell, <laughs> more touches at receiver than Kadarius Tony, yes or no? Oh. Oh, man. That's a great question. No, the answer's no. Thank you. Okay. All right. <laughs> the answer's no. Simple. That's a good question. And, and if that happens, Florida fans... One word that would describe Florida fans looking at that stat line. Implosion. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know what? I would be on their side. I, I wouldn't be able to blame them for that. If, if Tathan Martell gets more touches at receiver than Kadarius Tony, yeah. That Any of those fly. receivers, man. Those, it's, yeah, you're right, Connor. Any of those receivers, too. It's, they're going to be good. Tony's, Tony's, Tony's a stud, right? I mean, the guy averaged 12 yards a touch, so hopefully he, he touches the ball a little more than he did last year. Yeah, needs to be more Kadarius Tony. I think if there is one thing that Gator fans can agree on unanimously, it, it is absolutely that. Neil, we we appreciate you coming on. Uh, are you going to be in Orlando this Saturday? I am. I am. So I will. Uh, I'll see you there. All right. See right. We'll be. See right and I will be there. We will be. Uh, we'll be re- well represented for uh, for SDS. Looking forward to to seeing you there, catching up. And, uh, yeah, seeing, like, actual football. Not like the other football that you cover, you know, the, with the with the, the soccer ball. <laughs> that's right. That, that that's sport. right. But yeah, looking forward to it, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Let's go. All right, guys. All right, Have thanks, Neil. One good thing about the start of the season is that we get to talk about Texas Pete a lot. And I know there is pretty much nothing in the world that you love more than talking about Texas Pete. It's getting hot in here, oh, so take off all your bottles. Text speak. That's not my best mix of Nelly. Um, Connor, you're going to be in Orlando this weekend. And every weekend. Well, not every weekend, but, you know, it is mm. where I live. 
How'd that smart Alex response work for you? I didn't think so. Now, you've told me how hot it's going to be in Orlando. Very hot. Yeah, that's what I've heard. The only place it's going to be hotter than Orlando, Florida, or Columbia, South Carolina this season, you know where it's going to be? My kitchen, bro. Because Texas Pete is going to be bringing the heat all season long. I said this last week, guys. We're not having any losses this year, as you can tell with my crystal ball feature. No one's losing. No losses, just sauces. Texas Pete is going to be my go-to, my absolute go-to, when I need a little bit of a kick to get me through a fall Saturday. You can put it on anything. Put it on eggs and and Connor's Millennial Avocado Toast. Put it in on my fried chicken. You put it in my potato salad because I'm obviously taking my diet seriously. You can put it on anything. It's still the best. We have tons of tailgating recipes and tips at texaspeat.com slash tailgating. Make sure you go check it out today. We're going to be doing this all season long, guys. There are two things that go together for me and college football, Texas and Pete. Boom. There you go. I, was, I wasn't expecting you to go with Texas to separate, but that's okay. That's the fine. One good thing to ever come out of Texas is Pete. Anyway, moving on, let's go to fourth and wrong. So, as most of you noticed uh, late last night, you got a little ding. You got a little update, a little notification on your phone. Um, and that's because Uncle Chris did his due diligence a day early. Wow. That's right. I asked the fourth and wrong questions and submissions last night, not an hour beforehand. Shockingly, we had like 20 less submissions than we usually do. But we had some good ones, uh, including we're going to get to him last, Jay Woody, who just threw out roughly 12, 12 questions for us. Some really good stuff. We really appreciate it. But each and every week, we set, we ask for non-football-related questions or advice that you want answered uh, you guys had some good ones this week. Here is the first one from Brett Myers. Sitting here watching this Sunday night baseball game, and I got to thinking about how I never thought I'd enjoy A-Rod as a broadcaster. You and me both, brother. Uh, yet I really do enjoy him calling a game. Who do you want to hear call a college football game? For me, it's Spurrier. Connor, go ahead. Brett is right on the money. I mean, right on yeah. the money. Spur- <laughs> Spurrier hits the nail on the head for me. Um, in terms of people who would actually be able to do it, like, you know, you obviously can't have like a current coach come do it because then yeah. I would say Les Miles would be would be a really good uh, one. No. Um, here's what I want. In this day and age of social media, I want Mark May calling an Ohio State game. Let's bring Mark May back. What's okay. that guy up to? I don't know if that's going to be agreed upon. Because he's not at because he's not at ESPN anymore, is mm-hmm. he? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, or or just get Danny Cannell doing any SEC game. That would yeah. be great. I wouldn't mind Lou Holtz. And Spurrier in the same booth, just so I could hear Lou Holtz say Spurrier's name. Um, <laughs> Cannell would be. I would love to hear. I would love to hear Cannell call like a Florida spring game. I think that would be really funny. But I tell you what, who'd be great? And you say you can't get a current coach. I bet you could do like a, a little in-game in-game commentary from Lane Kiffin. Like I, I like, Ooh, Lane would be good. And I think he'd be great at it because he's so comical. You know, he's got some stories. And I tell you what, Lane's really good at. He's really good at. Uh, at riding that fine line between like, okay, you've gone too far, mm-hmm. versus this is still acceptable and funny because it's Lane. I think he'd be great. But yeah, this is a good question because A-Rod, I, I hated A-Rod. He's great. And you like him now? I, I mean, when I say hated A-Rod, like the background on my computer screen was Veritek punching A-Rod in the mouth and that Ju- right. June or July 24th game from 2004. I, I hated A-Rod, but he is, he's really good. He's really good on air. I, I, I go back and forth on him on air a little bit. 
right, well, kind of chose the question, not me. So I did choose a question. Really good question, though, <laughs> Brett Myers. Thank you for that. Um, okay, this is from Matthew Ryan. Remember this? Quackenbush. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my fiance, Oregon State fan, hates your last name. But um, given the popular dislike for most remakes, what old movie do you wish they would remake? Which one should not have been redone? Go ahead. The one that... I'm surprised to see Top Gun's getting remade. Yeah, who cares? I mean... I, I wasn't excited as everybody else to, to see all that. Um, I like how you said it, too. To see all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would tend to think... there There's a remake possibility for something like Hoosiers. And I'm not saying it's the exact Jesus same context... Christ. But maybe, maybe you know, what is what did Norm Dale do after that season? I don't know. Jimmy Chitwood goes to college. Like I watched that sequel. Would he say more than? Would, would he have you? more than three lines in the entire movie? Yeah, but I, I realize like I'm, I'm biased here in saying that. But um, that's that's tough. I don't know because yeah, Connor, I think what we all need in the, in the movie industry is we want to see a, a former white high school point guard go to college and have a 3.7 GPA. So this is just an autobiography of you. Um, okay, I was a shooting guard, but that's that's all right. We don't need to go there. Um, what about like remember the Titans? Probably couldn't be remade, but uh, I don't know. I feel like there because Sunshine was only a junior. Um, yeah, a lot of potential there. A lot of talent coming back. What if they did make that? Because I don't know what happened the following season, but like I don't know if they won state or not. But what if they just went like seven and three and, and didn't win like their region? And it was just yeah. like here's this movie, and it's like we're catching up with the <laughs> don't remember the Titans. That would basically be Titans. like. The most recent season of Last Chance You, which I'm currently in the midst of right now. And oof, yeah, I've not, heard it's bad. Not great. Haven't not started great yet. Yeah, sequels, for the most part, I think sequels, for the most part, are are usually poorly done and they are money grabs. But yeah. there, there is the rare exception of, of sequels where I like them more than the original movie. I'm a big Home Alone 2 stan. I, I think yeah. Home Alone 2 is, is better than Home Alone 1. I'll, I'll take that to my grave. Um, I think Mighty Ducks 2 is the best one, in my opinion. Okay. I could take flack for that, but Mighty Ducks 2 is tremendous. So here's what I'm going to say. One, I'm triggered that you brought up Home Alone 2 because I'm still banned off of Yelp since I wrote a Yelp review about the Plaza Hotel as Peter McAllister. <laughs> <laughs> that is a real thing that happened. Uh, if you guys ask, I will show you the article that, that I wrote. But anyway, um, the, it's interesting you brought the Mighty Ducks 2 thing because I've long, sa- I've long said that it is the most unrealistic movie in the history of, of American cinema. That you have this terrible last place hockey team and you sprinkle in some like affirmative action across the country and all of a sudden they're competing for the, the entire United States. Amen. This, this one terrible team from Minnesota, then you have like Luis Mendoza and a girl goalie. It is the best Mighty Ducks. You're 100% right. And I was going to say, if they did a Mighty Ducks 4, if they brought them back for something, I don't know what the storyline would be, I would be so all in on that. That would be awesome. And then also, I don't know which ones they should have never remade. Um, Major League. Major League should not have been remade. Oh, Major, Major League, League. should have just been one. Have you ever seen Major League 4 or Major League 3? It was like Back to the Minors. The Back to the Minors is, is Back to the Minors is better than Major League 2, though. I'll say Ooh, that. Oh, no. I saw that. I saw it in theaters. It was awful. 2 um, two's rough. You ever seen Red Dawn? No. Okay, so... I'm a big Swayze guy because of because of Roadhouse, but I've Roadhouse, heard, Roadhouse, Red Dawn is about like it, it's like Rocky Four, but like a little bit different. It's like Russians or I think like Chinese. It's basically communists are taking over America, and and he's got to save the world basically, and he and he does. Red Dawn with Chris Hemsworth, I thought was pretty good. I I, I wouldn't mind seeing another one made. 
Uh, what about uh, Billy Madison? Billy Madison Two. <laughs> Billy that goes to college. Great. Billy yeah. goes to college. I would I would watch that movie. It would get like a half a star probably. But just I'd go watch, watch Old Row and their Instagram stories. That's pretty much all it is. Um, yeah. All right, number three, a sporting event that's on your bucket list but not football. Jamie Spence. Ooh, I've always wanted to go to the Olympics for a couple weeks. I go to winter. I go to summer. Don't care. Just want to go to a different sport every single day. And whether I'd be covering it or just watching as a fan, yeah, I think just spending spending two weeks and three weeks, whatever it is, like that you would have to, you know, travel time and all that stuff, of spending that much time around like different different cultures, stuff like that, seeing sports that I've never watched before, carving out an entire day to go watch fencing or something like that. <laughs> like, I would I would absolutely love to do That's that. That's cool. Well, I wish that you, I would have known you when I was ten because Patty Sue, like. I've told you this before. We we got like in Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. This is not like me trying to like one up because that that's such a cool answer. It's uh, Patty Sue had just like just cleared all of her debt, and then like like the week of, like the week of the Olympics in Atlanta, and then she she was like, oh, let's just go get back into it, I guess. And like we just put like we went to handball, and it wasn't even America wasn't even playing. It was like Romania. Yeah, it was. It's a, it. The Olympics are really cool. Um, I don't know what you said about Winter Olympics. That that was a bad answer, but uh, you like Winter Olympics. Winter Olympics sucks. Whoa, it sucks. Dang. Connor, I can go watch. I can go listen. watch hockey every day for for a week probably over there. And oh, have no well, that's fine. But there's there's like there's a big difference between like, hey, I'm gonna watch handball or fencing versus I'm gonna go watch some guy cross country ski for for thirty minutes and then lay on his belly and try to shoot a target. That's not a sport. No. That's that's survival. Like that's just, that's, that's not, not okay. That's a sport. That's definitely a sport. That's you need endurance. Sure. You need focus, concentration, all that stuff. Okay, I, nothing I will that I say, have. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, there are, there are obviously a lot of other things on a, a non football bucket list. Going to see you know baseball World Series, of yeah. course. Any game seven, NBA, NHL, MLB, whatever it is. Yeah, um, we've been fortunate enough to. Yeah, hockey game seven, just That'd the intensity cool. of something like that. And I've never seen I've never seen a national championship for uh, for college basketball or for or for college football. Come yeah. to think of it, I've seen been, two. One that home. I wish I could forget, but yeah. Um, no, I mean, Final Four would be kind of cool. That'd be fun. Uh, so for me, the answer is uh, the Masters. It's not even. Close. Oh yeah, duh. Yeah, yeah. Patty Sue also got to go to that, which is a bunch of bull crap. Of course she did. It's ridiculous. She sat down in the middle of the walkway. She was so tired. It's just ridiculous. Patty Sue, no, no. Patty Sue, I know. What is you doing, Patty Sue? Anyway, all right, your final question from Jay Woody, who is just, there's no way we could have left any of these. I'm going to give you a couple of the couple of ideas here, Connor. He said, uh, Chris, if you had a bit about Connor and your comedy act, what would it be about? Or Connor, if you wrote an article about Chris's life over the past few years, what would the title be? Oh, that's easy. He's got, it's, oh, what do you mean it's easy? The, oh, if oh, to come up with the t- I can come up with a story easily. Oh, yeah, that's, the story that's not a problem. Easy. The, the title's um, a little bit tougher. Okay, so movie scene. This is this is what we're gonna choose. Okay, movie scene that gives you the chills or gets you fired up every single time. Uh, he said his is you can't handle the truth from a few good men. What do you, what do you got? Wait, so movie quote to describe your no, life? No, no, like no, 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 no. I was just telling you some of the different ideas he had. This is a movie scene that gives you chills. Or gets you fired up every single time you watch it. I mean, let's just go back to, to Hoosiers. Jimmy Chitwood knocks down the game-winning bucket, wins the state championship. It's like a 25-footer in a tie game. You know, nobody yeah. gives him crap for... That was a two at the time, too, because, you know, three-pointers obviously were very far off. But 
Uh, th that scene always gives me chills. I don't care if Rudy was offsides. Still gives me chills every one, time. Yeah. Every like when, when I see like you know the, the dad like you know breaking down and he's crying yeah. and stuff like that. That's a good one. When uh, Rocky at the end of Rocky Four is like, and if I can change, that you part? can change. <laughs> oh yeah, just American pride right there. Yeah, um, yeah the Cold War. takes me back to the Cold War, which I experienced zero of. Uh, but yeah, those are all. I, I realize those are all sports movies, but yeah. they all chill worthy. Yeah, so Rocky, it's got to be Rocky Four for me. The training scene, that hearts on fire playing, him, like there are parts of it where I'm like, I kind of laugh, like when he, <laughs> he's like he's running up a damn mountain and he's doing it on top of the peak of the mountain, like he's like, like that's not boss. how you that's not how you run up a mountain, sir. Yes, like, it he's, is. He's high wiring this mountain, but he's like. But he's and he's. I just love the whole thing because he's like he's working out in like a leather jacket for some reason, and and it's he's cold. Like, it's cold, yeah. But he's he's got like when when he's like inside like the shed and he's like doing those shoulder presses and and, and again, hearts on fire is playing. But like and the only bad part is when he they zoom in on his face after he like crumples up the picture of Drago. Love it. <laughs> so weird that. But that scene is. That that is like I have children right now talking about it. like that. The scene of Rocky Four is, is just ugh, so oh, so Oh, and um, and D two Mighty Ducks two when they win, not the same. <laughs> you know what? You know what's underrated? I think is uh, like like Braveheart, like that battle scene is pretty intense. But um, what is it? The uh, damn it! Now I forgot. I don't remember. Okay. When uh, when Billy passes the first grade, that's a <laughs> big moment for me. <laughs> third grade. <laughs> you know what? This is just now a Billy Madison Stan podcast. It, it absolutely is. Bring back Chris Farley, man. Oh no, but those are those are. Was he? Oh yeah, he was the bus driver in that movie. Um, those are great questions, Jay Woody. I can't listen. You DM me, and I'm gonna give you personally. I'm gonna give you a a free SCS pod sticker and a, and a sticker from SCS of, of your team of choice. Um, just some great questions, man. Just some really great questions. So we would appreciate it. Guys, keep keep those up all season long because uh, you know I'm going to forget at some point. So, but thank you for Jay Woody because now I can I cannot ask the question for several weeks now. This is true. <laughs> Real quick, the headline to define your life oh, story. God. It just means poor. How local bartender turns into voice <laughs> of SEC website. <laughs> Boom. That's, that's good. I like that. That's um, really good. Speaking of that, it might mean too much. Oh, actually, it's not it might mean too much today. It's it might not mean enough. Oh. So this will be interesting for you as a you know Bama fan. Former Bama assistant Billy Napier, who's now coaching at Louisiana, he apparently so the story came out via the advocate that he is requiring players to donate fifty dollars a year to the alumni association. Needless to say, Twitter did not enjoy that. Yeah. Um Immediately after, he comes out and addresses the comments and says uh, that, it, that it's not a requirement. Um, and he said it's more about teaching players not to be privileged as student-athletes. And then he broke it down into, oh, it's only $4 a month, can't, 17 can't cents that. a day. Yeah, basically trying to make it seem like it's really not that much money. Not the best look, in my opinion. I get what he's going for. I get it. Still not the best look, even if it's not a requirement. When you're asking scholarship athletes yeah. to do that, I I don't want to get into get the paid. pay for play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but so and I, you, I don't want to. I don't want to do what you say. I always do. I don't want to hedge too hard here. But can I say that I love and hate this? Okay, but here's the problem. You can you can love the message that it sends, all yeah. that stuff. From a recruiting standpoint, that's an easy thing to make fun of. Easy thing oh, to make yeah, fun of. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And, and I I get like. 
first off, like the fact that Dan Wolken was so outspoken about it is partially why I don't like I, I'm for it. <laughs> just to be honest, uh, if I'm being self-aware here, but I, I tell you what, man, like I'm a diehard Bama fan. I went to I went to Georgia College in Milledgeville, and and there is there's a different pride that comes about the school you went to, and and especially if you played sports there. And I, I get what he's trying to do. Um, I don't think it's as bad or egregious as, as people made it out to be because it's not mandatory. And 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 that, like you said, the idea behind it, like it, trying to instill some. Here's the thing: nobody goes to the University of Louisiana Lafayette because they dreamed about going to the University of Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette, their entire life. And trying you speak to instill for yourself, some, yeah. But I mean, like, no, but seriously, like that's that's not a school that does that. And, and you talk about there's a lot of we, there's a lot of in-state schools in in Louisiana, but LSU is obviously the biggest one and, and, and has the most fans and following all kind of stuff. I love the fact that he's trying to instill pride at this a smaller school like this. He just, you know, maybe maybe you loan them the $50 and put it in their name. Take that, Tulane. Boom. <laughs> yeah. We're doing things differently in Louisiana. Um, we've got a few five-star reviews to get to. We've got three five-star reviews. Um, thank you to everybody who yep. has ever sent us a five-star review. Make sure that you tell your friends, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, everybody that you know to write us a five-star review. Um, the first one, this is from Georgia Blackout Both Ways. Subject, <laughs> subject the Saturday Down South podcast. Uh, scrumptious content keeps me, uh, keeps me not wanting to die at work. Also, I'm probably going to name my first kid Cash. Best interview yet. Go dogs. Very good. Uh, Connor, I know this is going to shock you, but I don't have the five-star reviews pulled That up, is so. totally fine. This next one is from Nice Band Guy. Um, subject, Saturday Down Sizzle. Ooh, I like Ooh. that one. Um, the <laughs> Fight Me Ohio State. Saturday Down South podcast is the podcast to listen to for the best all-around coverage of SEC football. Chris and Connor give solid, unbiased analysts on a variety of SEC football topics. The interviews are awesome and unique compared to other podcasts. Case in point, the Cash Daniel interview, legendary. Chris's Ed Ogeron impression is on point, by the way. Keep up the great work, guys. Zach, go Gators. Thank you, nice so, man guy. I want to say that that one is my favorite. No offense, guys, because these are all great. But then he said the word unbiased. And then Boom. later on, in the same uh, five story, he said, go Gators. That meant a lot. Um, last but not least, J. Kyle Davis says, not just here for the SCS sticker. Thank you for saying that. Um, Thanks for supplying us, rabid SEC fans, with the content we need to get through the dog days of summer. Started listening last season and have been hooked ever since. The highlight of 2018 wasn't just Georgia sweeping the East, but rather my question being included on fourth and wrong, even convinced my dad to buy a smartphone and join Twitter just for the Coach O content. Keep Love up it. the good work and keep UGA and Florida Twitter tumultuous. You know I will, Kyle Davis. We appreciate that. <laughs> you guys are the best. Thank you so much. Yeah, keep sending those in. We got uh, man, we got some big things planned for the fall. I'm excited. We do. We do. We're going to have a lot more uh, Florida-Miami talk. Maybe a very special guest. Maybe a first-time guest. Yep. Um, hopefully, we're going to get uh, this person on the podcast. But if Tanya not, Harding. Tan- Ooh, Tanya Harding, Johnny Manziel. Ooh, that was... Oof. Not, not, not the best look. I, I when I when I watch a commercial and just say no, no, it's not, it's not good. Everyone not deserves good. a second chance. Like imagine Johnny Manziel coming in like for the direct auto thing, and you're like, oh no, Johnny, and then out pops Tanya Harding, and you're like, good lord, direct auto, what is happening? That's yeah, mayhem. That's- 
Uh, they got they got a lot of coverage though, that's for sure. Um, make sure if you have not yet join our Facebook group. It is no longer the new Facebook group; it's just our Facebook yep. group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. All those five star views. If you rate, subscribe, do all those fun things. Uh, watch Facebook Live every Monday, Monday or Wednesday. Monday or Wednesday. Follow Marler uh, on social media, and he'll give you the update on Twitter at C. Oh no, at Vern Funquist. My bad. I got that's right. That, that change. Uh, follow us uh, also at the SDS Pod at CJ O'Gara. Follow us on Instagram for great things like fall camp updates, little nuggets yeah. from fall camp that Marler's just churning out. Uh, a lot of great Instagram content over the weekend as well. Coach Ogeron. What do we have to remember? Hey, game week, huh? Hey, game week! It might mean too much. Talk to you later in the week.